warm welcome to you all. Hope you'll thoroughly enjoy our program. Welcome to the Real Britannia podcast, a very British podcast about very British movies with just a hint of professionalism. With me today, my friend, my co-host, Stephen. Good morning. Morning, mate. How are things? Fine. Absolutely fine. The worst of the weather has, has disappeared now. No storms this weekend for the first time in about three weeks. The sun is desperately trying to peek its way through the clouds. We've had the odd shower. I don't know why I go into a weather report whenever you ask me how I am. It's... <laughs> Well, to be honest, I think that's because it's it's often quite different where you are to where I am, despite us only being, uh, uh, mm. relatively speaking, compared to some people in the United States and things that yeah. are quite close in distance. But um, our weather systems always seem to be quite different. You you know, I have massive written and floods and stuff, and you're going, oh, it's quite nice down there. We've just had a chair blow over, and that's it. No trees have blown over. Oh, yeah. well done. Um, yeah. And then, uh, uh, so, yeah, there's there's, you know, Sometimes difference is quite dramatic between our weather and and British people like talking about weather, don't we? They, we do, and uh, well, we might as well continue with this conversation just to tie this up. Then, how's the weather up there, mate? <laughs> well, it's quite mild actually. Is it? Oh, that's nice. <laughs> <laughs> right. A note to self: do not mention weather in future episodes. <laughs> Uh, let's talk about British movies. I'm going to say right from the start, I am looking forward to this one. Um, the show has been going, what, for just about three years. We're just coming up to our third anniversary. We've got 70 episodes almost in the bank. Totally dedicated to British movies, but there's only one James Bond movie we've reviewed so far, and that was way back in, wait for it, episode 007. We did Doctor No. Now, episode 007 featured co-host Tony... So I didn't really get a chance to speak to you about James Bond. Now, I'm assuming you being a 40-something British male living in the UK, automatically guessing that makes you a James Bond fan. But I'm sure it's like a legal requirement, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, I know people who are bigger Bond fans than I am, and I know some people who have just taken, for some reason, decided, no, they just don't like James Bond. But I think it's it's very much his people of our age and also our, our gender who... Um, are more inclined towards James Bond and certainly, um, like yourself, will have grown up um, absorbing the um, the back catalogue yeah. of James Bond regularly on a um, on the television whenever it was bank holidays or, or Easter holidays or whatever. They'd, they'd get to, a, like, the two weeks of Easter holidays that off school mm. and they'd be showing a James Bond every day because <laughs> um, they then had enough of them and the, the licensing had, had come that way so yeah so we saw them all regularly they were just you know on the screens all the time basically in, in a cycle mm. so uh, it's very difficult not to be um, aware of James Bond and, and not of have it as part of your, your DNA as far as uh, somebody who watches films at our age and in this country I you know I certainly appreciate 
um, James Bond, particularly particularly the earlier ones. I sort of lost lost a bit of touch with them um, and familiarity with them, although I've seen them um, a bit more sort of in the sort of 90s, I suppose. You know, this era, when it was first starting out, I think is what we are most familiar with ourselves because we did watch them so many times on a rainy Sunday or... Oh, or it's, bank holiday. it's a definite bank holiday Monday or Boxing Day tradition up until very recently. In fact, I'm sure there was a Bond movie on Boxing Day on ITV. Christmas just gone. It's still, despite the fact that ITV3 or ITV4, whatever that offshoot channel is, shows them quite regularly, they're still on the mainstream ITV network any bank holiday now they have to be shown again i think it's a legal requirement this is uh, it yeah and and you saying about a white british male 40 something sort of tradition i was speaking to gabriella our dear friend and, and soon to be guest on the show um in south africa yesterday talking about this particular movie and her love for james bond knows no bounds and it's very rare to find a woman that likes James Bond to the degree that she does. I mean, some of them might have a passing interest in, oh, fancy Piers Brosnan, or, you know, they'll, they'll be dragged along to the to the latest movie just because their husband's taking them out to the pictures for the night. But she is, you know, on a par with certain other Uber fans, you know, great great fans of the James Bond series, which I think is quite rare. It is. I think there's, it's very easy to pass off Bond films as being... Um, a, particularly in the, the early stages, there was, um, you know, uh, accusations of rampant misogyny, um, which I think were just, <laughs> that's how it was in the 50s and 60s. Um, uh, and, Again, a legal um, requirement. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, you know, it's, it was no different to many other films around that time, really. Um, and, and I think that the, the way the, um, the machismo with the, you know, the, the lead character particularly, um, I think that is something that isn't automatically a, a, something that, um, that the female of the species is, is inclined towards in the same way that we are. Yeah. Um, and I think it, it, it is more as well that growing up, there was this idea that, you know, Bond was in some way like a, um, you know, like a hero figure Definitely, for, for yeah. young boys yeah. um, in a way, um, just in, you know, sort of going and fighting the baddies and the car chases and the, the you know, helicopters yeah. and all this kind of yeah. stuff. Um, and as you got a bit older into your teens, it was like, oh, I'm getting to sleep with all those beautiful women. That's quite nice as well. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I think that that's why it possibly does appeal a bit more. But um, that would be writing off, I think, the, the films has been sort of less than they actually are as far as um, the, the quality and the... the the scripting and and the performances really so um it's good that she's got that interest and you know perhaps we just maybe go down the the route of examining films a bit more on a face value and um there are some other people who, who go a bit more in depth and that's that's maybe that's why they don't take to bonds in the same way that we do i don't know yeah i mean gabriella's love for timothy dalton knows no bounds so it may take a while before we get to those Gabriella, but we're going to certainly invite you on for our reviews of the two Dalton movies. But at the rate yeah. we're going, at the rate we're going, we've done the first... <laughs> Some, about ten years. Yeah, we, we, we'll get there, we'll get there. Okay, I'm going to put you on the spot here. Just to get a feel for your 
sort of 007 appreciation and where the land lies with regard to what future Bond episodes might hold. I've got a couple of questions to ask you. Uh, you've had no forewarning of this, so there's no time for you to think or rethink your answers on this. Just a little sort of scratching the surface of Stephen's appreciation or non-appreciation of Bond. Are you ready for this, Matt? I just need, not necessarily yeah. your quickest or fastest answers, but just have a little think on this. You ready? Question one, your favourite Bond actor. Well, I always reply to this and say David Niven. But I was um, going to say, was it Bob Holness? It was always the other <laughs> Bob one. Bob Holness. <laughs> yeah. um, so, uh, and then when people go, oh, no, no, be serious. And I go, all right, George, George Lazenby. And that upsets people that knowing. Ups- yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, and I do think he's underrated, actually, and, and passed off a bit is, is George Lazenby. There's but, um, a, um, a heavy reappreciation of Honor Majesty's Secret but, um, Service. So, and, yeah. and I do actually like Honor Majesty's yeah. uh, Secret Service, to be fair. Yeah, it's very difficult, especially from our age, not to just default and just and, and go, well, yeah, the, the regional and, and the best mm. was Sean Connery. Really, and obviously there is the um, the background to that that we now have more understanding that um, Ian Fleming um, he wasn't keen on the idea of Sean Connery um, being Bond, but once he saw him doing it, he started to rewrite the backstory to yes. include Scottish roots and all sorts of things because he he, he wanted um, to sort of credit Sean Connery with his the way he portrayed the role. Okay. So. I think they've all got their own merits and their own. I think they have, yeah. So it's a difficult question. Some of these you won't have a definitive answer. And I, th- and I think, I think to be fair, just to to follow up on what you're saying there, I think um, each of the 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 pretty much um, embodies more of a, a zeitgeist of what um, elements of Bond are right for the time. Yeah. So I mean, Daniel Craig at the moment, the way you know his, his performance as Bond, Bond is is um, very much what Bond should be now um mm. as opposed to you know in, in the 60s connery you know it's very much who, who bond should have been and and same with you know same with the way it went a bit more i suppose not really wacky but in some ways it went with the gadgets and a bit more of the the sort of fun bits um under roger moore as well yeah. that was a, a a thing and that was very much of the time as well so i think each of them as you say sort of brought the right thing to the role at the right time really I think I said to Tony on the Doctor No episode, rather than after Daniel Craig has sort of finished his tenure, which we're assuming is going to be after this latest movie, rather than trying to recast Bond for the 21st century and get a new actor doing it that way, I would like them just to not retcon everything, but go back to the 60s, cast a new Bond, but make the stories set in the 1950s and the 60s again so that it isn't reliant on modern day technology and we get the classic cars and we get the classic fashions and the looks and all that swinging 60s sort of stuff. I don't well, think as that... a fan of the 60s, I'm not, not surprised you're saying yeah. that at all. Um, I thought that'd be a great concept, a great way of not keeping it... Well, almost keeping it fresh as such, you know, just a different spin on it. You know, let's go back and set this the next James Bond back in 1962. And, and reboot it, not necessarily remake Doctor No or remake from Russia with Love, but come up with original stories, but using the characters, you know. I think there's a merit to that. I don't think commercially it would be that maybe get as much no. in, um, unfortunately, and that's what they're driven by. But we know that that, that look back to sort of the, the 60s-esque way of, you know, portraying 
spies and you know with the technology and the gadgets and all these kind of things going back that way that's something that still is prevalent in a number of films and tv shows and things where they're using that as the sort of the template um and that's almost kitsch um view back on on sort of spies um is what template's been set by james bond but Um, I think it's, it would be interesting to see them doing that and actually going back and portray, you know, showing the, the, almost the full story um, in its actual original time frame rather than modernising it. Mm. But unfortunately, I think commercial pressures will stop them from doing what we want them to do. Yeah, it will, <laughs> it will not prove to be a success, mate, that's for sure. And obviously, this whole misogyny aspect of things would be completely missing from any script even if it is set in the 60s i could imagine that even then there won't be that element because attitudes have changed you know so it'd be interesting just a little sort of like little theory not a theory a little sort of like hope that they may try and you know change it a wee bit but we know they're not they're going to recast james bond with some up-and-coming actor as as well we know and it'll just carry on so yeah and whether that's somebody who's who's black well, yeah. woman or whatever. I mean, you know, there's all these discussions that always go on. But I think for all the discussions about how, you know, the misogyny and and you know the over the other aspects that were maybe seen as being dated now, um, looking back on Sean Connery's era in the sixties, you look at what actually you know it was in actual novels. Mm. Um, and you find out <laughs> it's uh, it's toned down a lot because. Uh, yeah. um, Oh God, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, it's 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 definitely shows a, a more extreme version of all these aspects that they're trying to point at now in in retrospect. And so, I think we uh, we need to keep a bit of perspective on it really, and, and make sure that um, we don't lose that that that's what Bond was about, and just enjoy enjoy it really. Yeah. Okay, I think the second question's a little bit more difficult. Have you got a favourite Bond movie? Is there one that you could instantly say is your favourite movie? Not really. No. Um, this is high up there, though, mm. and the one that we're about to do, okay. um, which I think is partly because this was the, the sort of where they were perfecting the formula and the the tweet from the from Doctor No, mm. and and um, got some of the familiar bits that we're yeah um, the birth of it is currently mm, yeah some of the bits um, that we see yeah so um, so this one you know is is does sit better with me and and so this so if i had to pick one this one possibly would be but there's it's very difficult oh, because it yeah. depends on your mood as well it's like a david bowie album you know True, it yeah. depends on what 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 mood you're in yeah um, and what you're actually wanting from a film to depend on which james bond you would put on that's a good point um, yeah because for years my favorite i always stood by you only live twice because that was classic Sean Connery it had every single element it had M it had Miss Money Penny it had the, the the crazy villain with the underground lair you know it was that sort of thing every single element of classic Bond was in there but going back I've learned to appreciate this particular movie a lot more Goldfinger I think is probably more classic Bond than You Only Live Twice but as I say I can say Spy Who Loved Me as a yeah, favourite Roger Moore the golden yeah, yeah, and yeah, just, yeah. yeah. But, yeah, this is a difficult one. All right, question three, and I've got a feeling I know in which direction this may go. Favourite Bond theme? <sighs> uh, I 
Yeah, I'm not really sure on that no. one. Um, it's it's. I'll tell you where I thought you were going to go, and I tell because <laughs> being being a son of York and, and York's favourite son is John Barry. I'm thinking, oh, he's going to pick something John Barry related. Well. But I'm springing this on you a little bit. So. Yeah, essentially, you know, to some extent, you you know, for a long period, you, it was a pick between Shirley Bassey and Tom Jones, wasn't it? Yeah. The alternative <laughs> at one point. Um, yeah, I mean, it's very difficult to to not have in your mind Goldfinger just because it's, it's that, that refrain. Have you got from, one you hate then, rather than one you uh, like? Um, one that you despise. Well, I've just not been able to get on with really any of the the modern ones. So, to yeah. Be I do have a, a liking for um, those. Blondie did one that they were commissioned to do yes. one, and then it got rejected. Yeah, for your eyes only. Mm. Um, and I actually, actually do like that song, <laughs> but it never became an official uh, Bond song because it got um, rejected by them. There's a couple so, like that, isn't there? The Pretenders did a, a song on one of the Timothy Dalton ones, and. All time high was the was it for Moonraker, but it was the end theme rather than the beginning theme. You know, there's there's a lot of tunes out there that people don't realise are Bond themes or, or you know associated with the Bond movies. It's a difficult one, isn't it? Because there's so many good ones. For me. There are, yeah. For you know, they were they were top hits of the time when you yeah. know for for years the Bond theme would be a number one. Um, and it's only I think over the, the last couple of themes that, that that's not happened and i think you know i think madonna did one and that was a that's that the worst number one i think that is the worst um, yes yeah, i'm not saying it's good but it did go to number one and i think um a band i like called garbage they did one as well and, did, and, yeah. and and i think that went that was one of their highest successes as well as far as yeah. um songs go but yeah so it, it, that's a difficult one to to pin down i mean I, you know got a bit of louis armstrong in there as well which is is lovely to to hear at any point so mm. um so yeah again i think it, it ties down to what mood you're in but okay. um yeah the modern ones leave me cold really okay. uh, they seem to be just too forced really which is a bit much they're trying to be a bond theme yeah yeah okay um so far i think we're running parallel on your answers to this at the moment question four is a totally sexist question favorite bond girl Ooh. Not necessarily, ooh, I fancy her, but, you know, favourite actress that played a Bond girl or favourite performance of a Bond girl, not necessarily the thwar factor, you know. Well, the person I thought was... was, was um, mm. <laughs> I've put it's, you on the spot, haven't I? Yeah, it's putting me on the spot. Difficult. Yeah, I don't know where okay. I've gone on that one. That's I mean, fine. I think there were, there were, um, I think there was some that were quite... Under, underrated in the the Pierce Brosnan era, really, but yeah. um, obviously uh, going back to the, to the classics um, a lot of the time with this because they set the mould again. So I mean, you know. you've got the classic Ursula Andress coming out of the sea in Doctor No. You've got Pussy Galore on a Blackman, uh, Daniela Bianchi in this one. My favourite from this era is Claudine Auger from Thunderball. You know, from the from the Connery mm. era. Um, I think on a on a Blackman impressed me a bit more, but yeah. um, I think Ursula Andress, unfortunately, I mean she she looked great, but I'm not sure the actual acting was, was, it, was that, dubbed, it was dubbed, <laughs> wasn't it? That's really. the yeah, it that's was, the problem. Yeah. So. so that didn't um, it didn't do any favors that I don't think, but obviously it was setting the mold and and being yeah. um, really the the first in in that respect. You've got quite a, you know obviously the the different one for each each film really because none of them ever um returned 
did they really? No, Maud Adams played a Bond girl in, was it The Man with the Golden Gun, then came back as Octopussy. She played two different roles. uh, There is a returning character, even though she's not necessarily classed as a Bond girl, it's in this one. It's Sylvia Trench was in Doctor No. Uh, He picks her up in the casino and she's playing golf in his room. And then they're together at the the punt scene in From Russia With Love. That's possibly the only returning one. I mean, it's going to happen in the new Daniel Craig movie. But I think Sylvia Trench is... Terry Hatcher and stuff like that was just... Yeah, they were just one-offs, weren't they? Very um, brief appearances. I like Sophie Marceau, actually. I did, like, so, Mich- I did actually. like Michelle Yeoh, actually, doing... You know, she was, good. Um, yeah, someone that... Had an had a actual, you know, substance to her role. Um, yeah. But, and then, say, Sophie Marceau, who you think's going to be the classic Bond girl that then turns out to be the villain, you know, when they put a twist on it. So that's... Yeah. There's, there's lots of different ones here. Okay. I think Lois Maxwell, I was just say... As a, as a constant, yeah. <laughs> as a constant. She, she, was, she was the Bond girl that never was, as yeah, it were. Yes, sir. Yeah. Is there one film that you've seen more than any other out of the Bond series? I think, actually, it, it might well be on a Majesty's Secret Service, Ooh, and I don't know why. Okay. No, don't know I don't like why. answer. Um, maybe that's just because cause I've got this... Uh, subconscious desire to to favour an underdog, in knowing how people um, behave towards George. Yeah. Um, but no, I, I say I don't think there's a, it's it's from the original era, the the, the Connery and and uh, Roger Moore era. Mm. Um, I don't I don't think there's really any of them that I've seen any higher than the others. And it, yeah. it, since since then, it's trailed off that I've seen you know Dalton. Um, and Brosnan and, and Craig ones less, so yeah, okay. it'll be it'll be it'll be one of the Moors or one of the Connerys definitely. Okay. But okay. have you got a favourite villain or henchman? Well, odd job. Come on, I, I knew you'd say odd job. I don't know why, because again, classic. It just it just bit, is so, henchman, so, isn't it? you know, in some ways silly. The blueprint for Jaws, also, mate. You know, and those that it, followed. You know, yeah, yeah. It, um, <laughs> but it's um, you know, you you do have the. Um, multiple appearances of, of Blofeld and, and stuff. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, as a as a henchman, and I mean, yes, yeah, a, yeah. They're, they're constantly referred to in in parodies and um, the way that it, it followed on has been this classic henchman yeah. um, style that it's 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 just iconic, really. Set the mould, um, mate. Set the mould, because yeah. we don't have a henchman as such in this. Walter no. Kotal is probably the closest we get, but we'll discuss that when we get into the review. Okay, that's given us some insight into your history of 007 and some of your thoughts and your favourites. Let's take a short break. We'll be back after this. second James Bond thriller could be more exciting than the first. Krilenko. So he's back. Another Bulgaria they use as a killer. Take a look. You should remember him. This man kills for pleasure. James Bond, that notorious, amazing Dr. No secret agent is back. 
and half the world is out to kill him as he fits his murderous talents against the Iron Curtain and its velvet women. Well, I'll tell you something, Coltoni. You're one of the most beautiful girls I've ever seen. I think my mouth is too big. No, it's the right size. For me, that is. From Russia with love comes Tatiana, bait for the trap. From the four corners of the world come the men and women who play a deadly, dangerous game of espionage. Do not be alarmed, my friend. We will make you as comfortable as possible. Ali Karim Bey, head of Station T, Turkey. Karazno Gransky, codename Grant. Chief executioner of Spectre. My orders are to kill you and deliver the lector. All I do, it's my business. M of British Secret Service. The woman called Rosa Kled, playing a double, double cross. Kled. Romanova. The door. Romanova! From Russia with love, they dance for him. They yearn for him. They die for him. From Zagreb to Sofia. From Venice to Istanbul. From Paris to London. Agent 007 cuts an inimitable path through the palaces and boudoirs of espionage. James, you're hurting me. I'll be worse than that if you don't tell me. You're doing this under orders, I know. And what are they? Even if you kill me. I can say nothing. From Russia with Love, premiered in the UK on the 10th of October 1963, directed by Terence Young, who also directed Doctor No and would go on to direct Thunderball as well. Starring, of course, Sean Connery as James Bond, Daniela Bianchi as Tatiana Romanova, Robert Shaw as Donald Grant, and of course, there's Bernard Lee as M, Lois Maxwell as Miss Moneypenny, Desmond Llewellyn makes his first appearance as Q. There's Lottie Lenya, one of the most famous, best-loved Bond henchwomen of all time, Rosa Klebb. The plot. Agent 007, Sean Connery, is back in the second instalment of the James Bond series, this time battling a secret crime organisation known as Spectre. Russians Rosa Klebb and Kronstein are out to snatch a decoding device known as the Lecter, using the ravishing Tatiana to lure Bond into helping them. Bond willingly travels to meet Tatiana in Istanbul, where he must rely on his wits to escape with his life in a series of deadly encounters with the enemy. Now, growing up, watching these as a a kid or a teenager, for me, this was one of the most boring entries in the series. I, I wrongly believed that the plot was a bit too complicated, there was too many characters that just confused the whole thing, not enough action, there wasn't enough car chases or gadgets for me, you know, because I'd seen some of the later instalments. But as I grew older, 
I, I realised I was wrong. I, I learned that for me, this, as you just hinted at as well, is probably one of the best James Bond movies ever made. It's one that I go back to quite often now. It's one that I really enjoy. And I think it's a really good example of the early Bond movie that is not bogged down too much by things that will come later that the producers felt they had to include, if you know what I mean. Things like the gadgets and stuff like that. It's a good old-fashioned sort of 60s spy drama. You know, we spoke about the Ipcrest file and the development of 60s spy dramas. With that in mind, mate, has your feelings, your perception changed now watching this as you've grown older? Was this one of the ones that was like, oh, it's that old Bond that's just a bit chugging along? Yeah, I think it was um, it was a bit darker in in the lighting side side of things mm. and uh, a bit more a bit less easily digestible for a young mind originally compared to some of the others, particularly some of the Roger Moore ones. Yeah. But um, I think that. As you say, this has has grown in appreciation over the years. Very much, like you say, there's some archetypal elements that were brought in, including characters, you know, like mm. Q. But yeah. the um, the way in which it, it did develop with plots and the, you know putting the chase sequences in there and the the double crossing um, elements with the, the attractive woman who, who whether she's actually on on the level or not and all this kind of stuff and I think the gadget side of things that you just mentioned about I think in this the gadgets are quite subtle in a way and they're used to enhance the plot rather than in some of the later films they're, they feel like the plot's been used to shoehorn in the gadgets exactly yes um, yeah. which is I think where it went up for a little bit down the down the line at a certain point so and I think with, you know I do think with this the They've got a lot of the the bits where they still are setting up, you know, the the fact that there's Spectre in between the Russian and, and well, the Soviets and um, the British and Americans and that kind of thing. It's it's still quite fresh in that way. Yeah. But um, maybe that's partly why it's a bit more confusing because the it's still setting these things up, and at the time it wasn't as easy to to digest as. Um, as a younger viewer. So looking back, I mean, your appreciation for this has, has gone up. Is that what we're saying? Because I'm, I'm yeah, certainly yeah. a big fan of this one. It's it's a bit different, isn't it? It's where Doctor No was this, I think it was a bit more colourful because it was set in the Caribbean. It's all this bright, warm sunshine and, and location works. What we get here is Eastern Europe and it's a little bit drab, a little bit dreary. And there is... It's not a complicated plot. It is just a double cross at the end of the day. But for me, as a, a pre-teen even, watching this for the first time, it's like, oh, this is a little bit heavy. But I, I like the subtlety of this, and I like the way that it's just setting up... This is the blueprint for Goldfinger, for Thunderball. It's, that things will get added to this that will become part of James Bond folklore. I mean, for example, Q was in in Doctor No, but it wasn't necessarily Q, was it? I think they referred to him as Major Boothroyd. It was a different actor, yeah. and he was referred to as the Armourer, I think he was in the first yeah. one. Lois Maxwell's in this again, and you've got certain elements, you know, you, you haven't quite got that cheeky banter bit at the beginning, 
but you get the bit with the, the hat thrown onto the hat stand and you know M actually sort of interrupts the cheeky banter in this particular one because he's standing in the outer office but Q turns up and presents the gadgets which is just a briefcase at the end of the day that's all it is with a few little bits in it and you can just see it's great looking back at this one that you think yeah this is the origins of it Doctor No was was officially the first Bond movie but you can just see it all coming to life in this particular movie yeah I mean it's like Doctor No was a bit more of, of sort of a testing ground in some ways. Mm. This then is where they actually bring it together a bit more formulated um, and have decided what they are and aren't about. Especially with the fact that this is the this is the the time when they decide that it's going to be part of the series. I mean, you know, because it's heralded at the end of this, what Bond will return. Yes. Whereas when Doctor No was done, there was no idea whether it was going to be a one-off or not. Mm. But I'd, I agree about the, you know, the, being colourful and, and all this kind of stuff. I think that the, you know, the lighting and and the shots like that, and just the the general feel to it. I think um, Doctor No was more light-hearted in some sense, as well as light, lightly lit. Which perhaps was, you know, right with the way that they went in order to allow people to come in rather than it being a bit more of a, of a dour, hard spy drama. It might not have been as popular. Yeah. But, um, yeah, a lot of this, you know, it's it's got people standing in shadows and, and the, <laughs> using the shadows to actually um, affect things and things happening at night time and things, which... You didn't really have in Doctor No. It was, you know, it was the Caribbean sky and, yeah. and blue waters and. This one is is more akin to the Ipcrest file than any of the others. I think. Yeah. This is the one because we've introduced this episode today as a, a sort of follow-on to our discussion on the Ipcrest file last time. Uh, yeah, yeah, and you can see the the Ipcrest file and Len Dayton. You know the influences from from Russia with Love on on that side of things. Well, he was involved in the. In this wasn't he? Was it this one? originally? Yeah, I knew he, and, we mentioned it, didn't we? Was it this one? Yeah. Yeah, he was. He was sort of commissioned to write a, a treatment of it, um, and I think he got a bit too bogged down in actually um, it being like the book um, and doing a treatment of the book rather than uh, do it. You know, just doing a, a version of the same general plot and yeah. and bit and with it being a follow-on to Doctor No. And I think it took a bit too long and they didn't like where it was going so that, you know, his treatment got pushed aside and, and replaced. But he was originally in, involved in, in this one um, and I think his influence, there's still some of that there. Yeah, you can see that if he was involved, I, I can imagine that his, his version was rejected because, as you say, it probably wasn't cinematic enough. It was probably too, too Ipcress almost. Yeah. Uh, yeah to John real. Le Carey, you know. Also, we get a pre-credit sequence. In Doctor No, the, it was run through the credits, wasn't it? The three blind mice thing in Doctor No. Yeah. With, with yeah. this one, we actually get a pre-credit sequence before the theme tune. And again, it's not actually, when we get to the theme tune, it's the orchestral version by John Barry and not the Matt Munro one, whereas in future ones we'll get the vocal version yeah. at the beginning. Yeah. Can you remember seeing that first pre-credit? So, can you remember seeing that pre-credit sequence for the first time, mate? Watching it, thinking, "Oh my God, that's James Bond, and he's just been killed." Yeah, I don't think it was this particular um, film, but I remember seeing the the that and 
it leaving obviously with youthful mind at the time, just being a kid, it did leave me a sort of going, Oh, what's happened there? Somebody's <laughs> been killed, and then going, So James Bond's been killed, but then in no. a couple of seconds, obviously, yeah. the, the, the mask is removed. It's a great opening credit sequence, isn't it? There's Robert Shaw, yeah, looking absolutely fantastic as a young man. You, you could imagine him being a villain, the perfect villain for this. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he's, he's got that sort of almost beautiful menace about Chiseled him. Chiselled look, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's a great opening sequence, and I'm not going to go through scene by scene, but, you know, it's just I'm just trying to bring in the no, elements this, this that... No, this is the beginning of that opening, um, you know, sort of... Tradition, isn't it? Things. Yeah. yeah. Um, and they become more extravagant as the years go by and, and, and certainly get longer because in I've just read somewhere that in No Time to Die that's not coming out till November now it's got a 20 minute pre-credit sequence <laughs> <laughs> it's probably like you know, just setting up a whole new movie before the actual titles come up so it's it's the start of that tradition you know the gun barrel pre-credit sequence theme tune now you've got that great visual as well you know it's all Images and words reflected on actresses and models, you know, and that that almost carries through right through the Roger Moore era. It carries all the way through, pretty much, doesn't it? And slightly tweaks and yeah. and develops into something else, into the more more recent stuff. But as I say, this particular movie just sets up the template for what we're going to get. Trying to work out with this, I mean, your first experiences of it. I mean, probably it's difficult. I think for us. Normally, that's something we would say, how many times have you seen it? And um, when was the first time you saw it? And all this kind of stuff. And I think because of, for me, the way that there was that mix of seeing so many of the, the Bond films so frequently throughout childhood, yeah. it's difficult for me to say which one, I, which Bond film I saw first, even never mind when I first saw this and, and how many times I've seen it. But it's, you know, very much, it's one that if I was asked to you know, give plots of, of a Bond film, um, this is one I'd be able to to relay to somebody, rather than some of the others that, uh, you know, might, the latter one might start getting a bit mixed up. <laughs> oh, one. right, okay. Yeah, just because, you know, just because, you, you know, you've seen so many of them and they seem so frequently that you've, you know, sometimes forget one scene is in one rather than another. There is a bit of interchangeability um, in some respects with some of the not not entirely but just with some bits whereas this one as we've said it's a bit more distinctive in, in a sense so but I still can't remember when I first saw this oh, I can um, and I've had to look oh, this oh, up I've just often, but you <laughs> you might well be able to so when was the first time you I watched them in sequence now bearing in mind we weren't born um, until sort of 10 years into you know, the James Bond series had been established. I looked this up the other day. Doctor No premiered on British TV Tuesday, October the 28th, 1975. I remember watching it. Okay. What was that? What was it? Tuesday? October the 28th, 1975. Right. Um, yeah, I've not been born by then. Right, so. okay. I was about six, nearly seven. And... I always remember them being shown one after another on Saturday evenings. I think that was something they did a little bit later on, because according to this, For Russia With Love didn't get his premiere until May the following year, 1976. 
and they were quite spread out. God, it's not even. If you look at the May the second, seventy six, so that must have been a bank holiday. I'm betting that's a bank holiday Monday. Yeah. Yeah. Goldfinger, not even at Christmas or a bank holiday. November the third, nineteen seventy six. Not weird. Yeah, Thunderball, February the twenty sixth, seventy seven. You only live twice, November the twentieth, seventy seven. So there's not even at this point for their very first sort of premieres on British TV. The tradition of the bank holiday thing hasn't been set up. They're, they're not just, a Christmas thing, no. no. A Majesty's Secret Service, September the fourth, nineteen seventy eight. That's bizarre, isn't it? When you think yeah, we, we yeah. always associate these as holiday movies on TV. Incredible. So they must have just put them on on a Saturday evening. I bet that's what it was. We'll have to check if those dates tie up with Saturdays. But I certainly remember watching them in sequence because this is pre-video recorders, pre-VCR. And, you know, as we've said many times before, three channels at the time, you would all be watching whatever the big movie was at the time. And 75, 76, Roger Moore's well into Spy Who Loved Me at this point. So there's a lot of activity and a lot of promotion for the new Bond, the new Bond movie going around and they're starting showing the Sean Connerys at last on British TV so there's a sort of like a mini Bond mania being sort of generated in the mid 70s that's another thing, Bond mania started to pick up possibly about this time but I'm, I'm, I associate Bond mania more with um, Goldfinger which follows uh, we said I think it was on the Ipcrest file on the Ipcrest file review, there was there was three manias about this time, wasn't there? There was Bond mania, Beetle mania, and Dalek mania was a thing as well. Yes, sixty four. It must have been a fascinating time when you've got all of this going on because this was huge, wasn't it? This this whole series of films, not necessarily peaks at Goldfinger, but is is just ascending and ascending until we get to Goldfinger Thunderball era. Yeah, and bits of merchandising that the the did it wasn't quite to the Star Wars level of stuff, but it was in some ways when you look back on it, it was a bit more sort of where they just stuck the name on things, even though it had nothing to do with the film Lunch or boxes, franchise or, yeah, or yeah. Any, the characters. Yeah, I said mean, I that probably peaked at Goldfinger because of the you know the the diecast Aston Martin toy car with all the moving parts and the ejector seat and the machine guns and the revolving license plates and stuff like that. It's an important part of the Bond franchise, mate, because, as we say, it's setting things up for what we know and love for future Bond episodes. Have you got any favourite parts in this? I mean, there's so many iconic scenes in this, which I've always thought it didn't have. I mean, the obvious one, we'll say that the the fight on the train. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. I mean, that was going to be my first point of call, the the fight on the train. I mean, I think that it's it's an interesting... um, Diversion having the the gypsy camp thing, um, which yep. sort of takes it out of all the other formal settings, pretty much with the, the rest of the actions taking place. And you know, you've got um, the sort of offices, hotel rooms, the the train, um, a lot more of it. That it sort of as locations, it's a bit more formal. Whereas the the gypsy camp it is a um, a bit more ragtag, obviously by the very nature of it, but. I think that's. I think the train definitely is. You know, the the Orient Express. Anyway, I mean, it's it's always a classic thing. And I think having having fight sequences on a train and things. I think that again is something that's setting up a set piece that can then be 
be replicated in future as a stereotype almost. Yeah. Uh, but this was really the first time that there were, particularly the Orient Express, using it as, as something because, you know, apart from Agatha Christie, it was, I don't think really there was, a, you know, that, Never that usage used. of it. Yeah. And what I like about this one, we're talking 1963 and it's not that stagey set fight sequence between two stuntmen this is quite brutal for 1963 it's almost really there's a couple of swigging punches and you know it, it looks like it's definitely staged but there's a couple of other bits when you think actually you've never seen this in a movie fight before you know bond pushing robert shaw's chin you know just to try and break free there's there's the odd karate chop which always makes me wince every time i see that in a fight because nobody does a karate chop ever in a, in a street fight no, or anything no. But you've got them kicking each other and throwing each other through doors. And for an early 60s movie, I think we're not talking um, Jason Bourne levels of realism and violence here. But for a movie of that era, it's it's quite an impressive fight. It is. I mean, you know, the the, the hand-to-hand piece in this, the, the realism maybe offsets some of the, the, the gun battle bits elsewhere. Yeah. Um, but certainly this, I mean, the... You've got a confined space where these people are fighting, and they, you know, it's not to the level of the raid or anything. Where, but they're they're making sure that the they're they're keeping in it's in keeping with the space in which they're actually doing, and because of that close upness that they need to do mm. um, with the shooting, it means that they're they're having to have the two lead actors doing doing it in themselves, which perhaps adds to the realism as well that you know it is them two there rather than it being um so much stunt doubles with their sort of dodgy wigs on <laughs> although to be fair dodgy wigs is, is part of the characters anyway but um <laughs> uh, but yeah i think that might you know might be why that has an, an extra bit of kudos for us that there is the feeling that this was was done a lot more realistic yeah. than some of the subsequent um, fight sequences in later films and um, also as I said gun battles in, in this film Do we get the sort of quippy asides from Connery in this? Not so much do we? The one line Not as much, there are some though yeah. but not as much no Yeah, there's, again it's the beginning of what becomes more exaggerated as as the series progresses I mean we've got some iconic bits and pieces in this movie Rosa Klebb with the the shoe knife yeah that's iconic you know almost as iconic as jaws and his teeth yeah uh, we've got the introduction of blofeld although he's not called blofeld in not this called blofeld and you don't see him now but he is, that, it is yeah, uh, yeah he's called number one so specter although was mentioned in doctor no we now get to know a little bit more about specter in this yeah. this is why i like this one it's, it's this perfect sort of bridge between the introduction and then full-blown Goldfinger, Sean Connery, James Bond, which is, is classic, classic era for me. Yeah, in some ways, Dr. No is, is like the, the dummy that was done to sort of model off mm. um, when actually doing the, the real thing for the first time. And I mean, you know, they had a the bigger budget, so they could put into this um, a bit more, which is good. Yeah. Because um, I think, you know, this would have suffered if it had had similar budget to Doctor No because you know they could get away with it on Doctor No but they couldn't necessarily on this I think in some respects but um, yeah this this sets up so many of the bits that are just you know in some ways 
it could be argued that they're bits that are exaggerated in subsequent films and um, maybe at some point get exaggerated to a bit of silliness mm. um, in at one point. But this definitely, you know, it's using all the um, archetypal James Bond elements um, for the first time, a lot of it, but using them in a way that feels feels part of the plot rather than shoehorn. Yeah, but I mean, in later Bonds, we, we love the one-liners anyway, and we love yeah, the fact that yeah. the gadgets are super exaggerated. That's what we learned to love in the, in the Roger Moore era. Um, but I just think this is interesting when you go back to this one, that all of those aren't being relied on at this point. What I want to talk about now, because there's a lot to discuss amongst the cast here, we need to go to the Hall of Fame because I think there's not necessarily some surprises, but we've got a few things we need to talk about here. Yeah, there, there are. I mean, there, <coughs> there, are, there are quite a few people who are making their second appearance via this, um, this film. Um, and when I say quite a few, um, it's about a dozen. <laughs> so, I didn't realise it was that many. Okay. Yeah, but we won't go in, into them because um, yeah. it, 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 we haven't got the time for a start off. And, um, you know, we've, we've got, as it is, we've got 11 inductees into the. <laughs> How the many? Hall of Sorry, but say that again. <laughs> 11 inductees into the Hall of Fame. Brand new entries. Yeah. Okay. So. Off, off you go. <laughs> right. Okay. Chick Fowles. Uh, who was in Trouble in Store, Night to Remember, and then this. Judy Geeson, who was The Eagle Has Landed and Tella Millington placed before this. Who's Hilda she Green. This? Sorry, sorry, who's Judy Geeson in this? Um, Do we know? Let me have a look. I didn't even notice that. She must be really young in this. Yeah. Don't okay. know. Okay, I'll look that up while yeah. you carry on. Yeah, yeah okay. Hilda Green. Mm-hmm. Heavens above and please, sir. So, and been in please, sir. Wow, okay. Is a range. Fred Haggerty, uh, Night to Remember, and Passport to Pimlico. Probably easier to say who hasn't been in Night to Remember, to be honest, yeah, at this that's point the, in our podcast. But, that's the um, Jack Heverington, uh, Night to Remember, and uh, Scott of the Antarctic <laughs> for this. Manny Michaels, uh, Night to Remember, obviously, and uh, Lavender Hill Mob. Bob Simmons. That's uh, the stuntman. That's the stuntman yeah. at the beginning. That's the name I couldn't remember. Yep. Dr. Noah and Night to Remember. That brings us up to, to date with, uh, apart from the, the three of, oh, Alfie Cash, Alfie, Alfie Kasher yeah. as well, um, was in Heavens Above and A Night to Remember. Um, and then obviously we've got Bernard Lee, who was previously in Dr. No and Dunkirk, Desmond Llewellyn, who was in Night to Remember and Lavender Hill Mob, yep. and Lois Maxwell, hey. who was in Dr. No and she was in A Matter of Life and Death. So... Bernard Lee, Desmond Llewellyn, Lois Maxwell all get inducted today? All get in today. Fantastic. That's great. There's only two Bond movies and they've got three appearances. Exactly. That's so good that's, news. I like that. That's great. Yeah. yeah. So that's great. Um, we do actually have four people who are making their fourth appearances. Okay. So, <laughs> Peter Evans, who was in the Chris Fowle, Dr. No and Heavens Above. Yeah. George Oliver, who was in Theatre of Blood, Wicker Man and Little Voice. <laughs> wow. Okay. Cecil Paul, who was in Legal Gentleman, Heavens Above and Dunkirk. Yep. And, of course, we've got Robert Shaw. Ah, brilliant. That's a fourth to him. So, yeah. yes. 
Man for All Seasons, Lavender Hill Mob and Dam Busters. So, okay. um, so yeah, that's quite good. Uh, we do have three people who are making their fifth appearances. <laughs> I had somebody, let me just, before you rattle this off, somebody contacted me on Twitter yesterday and I invited him to join the Facebook group because he said, is there anywhere oh, yes. we can yeah. see... <laughs> This all of fame, and at it the will. moment, yeah, it's it's, it's a work in progress. But at the moment, yeah. every week, I'm, I'm glad you've taken it on, mate, because your workload when it comes to this is just going up and up and up. Because I know you've got this fantastic spreadsheet you've designed to keep on top of it, but even then, you must rattle through every single cast member trying to think, okay, was he in this one? How many? There's, yeah, there's a certain amount. I'm, I'm halfway through the um, episodes as far as cross-referencing, which is actually a worthwhile task because it is throwing some up. And obviously, I'm thankfully making progress through it and getting through it quicker <laughs> than we are, actually. Although we're adding episodes quite frequently, yeah. I am actually catching up with ourselves. So um, it's not like it's a, a never-ending task that I'm okay, never going to catch up. Good. I am actually, you know... Um, going faster than we are actually releasing episodes, but um, unfortunately, um, it still will probably take me. And probably uh, by the time we get our next episode recorded, I, I will have caught up. I expect. How many inductees um, are there now, mate? It's about 150. With the ones from today, yeah, I think we're looking at um, about 160 now. I think when it gets to 200, we might have to make it five appearances or more because this is just going to snowball. Well, I think, yeah, I might need to. So, uh, yes, the fifth appearances. Yeah. Uh, we're just getting into them. We've got Jim O'Brady. Oh, famous Jim O'Brady, yes. <laughs> famous Jim O'Brady, <laughs> who was in Night to Remember. Evan, oh, was it? <laughs> Passport for Pimlico um, and Lavender Hill Mob. Yeah. Ernie Rice, who is a name that we do actually recognise. Yes. Um Night to remember Heavens Above, Lavender Hill, Mob, and yeah. Ipress File. <laughs> yeah. um, I'm doing really well remembering all these off the top of my head, obviously. Well done, yeah, well done. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, so, yeah, those are the people who, who had, um, that's three people who have had their fifth appearances now. Okay. Um, I actually had four people who have made their sixth appearances. <laughs> my life, keep going. Keep actually, going. No, the fifth, no, the other fifth appearance was um, Sean Connery, obviously. That's five uh, for Sean Connery, him. okay, yep. yeah. Yeah. Um, he was in this. Doctor No. Uh, man Who Would Not Be. The one who, man who would be king, Doctor No, yeah. Time Bandits, and Hell Drivers. Yeah. So, so yes, sixth appearances. Wow, keep going. Uh, Juba Kernerly, who was Quadrophenia, Doctor No, Georgie Girl, Rocky Horror, <laughs> and The Rebel from yeah. last last week recording. Ernest Blythe, who is in Lavender Hill Mob, Rocky Horror, Ten Millington Place, Night to Remember, Trouble in Store, and then this. Incredible. Pat Ryan. Yeah. Um, Heavens Above, Yield to the Night, <laughs> League of Gentlemen, Trouble in Store, and Sweeney, and um, Dido Plum. There, there's a name, yes. There's, um, <laughs> who was in Melody, Heavens Above, Ten Millington Players, It Crest Foul, The Rebel, and From Russia with Love, obviously. Dido so um, so that's the four sixth appearances. We do actually have a seventh, <laughs> somebody with seventh. <laughs> Go on. And that is Fred Wood who was previously in Time Bandits, uh, Man for All Seasons, Wicker Man, Heavens Above, Three Hats for Lisa, and A Night to Remember. I don't even so, know who Fred Wood is. No. Do you, are you familiar with the name Victor Harrington? Hold tight, hold tight. <laughs> <laughs> I 
<laughs> I've decided uh, we need a Victor Harrington klaxon. <laughs> well, I think we definitely do. Um, I spotted man, it this morning. Go on. <laughs> for a man who we don't really know who he is, um, it's it's amazing. Um, how many how many appearances do you think he's had? I know it's over eight. I think it was eight last time you mentioned, but it might be more yeah. than that now. It, it it's ten. <laughs> Go on, just, just rattle He's them first off. First one to get to double figures, yeah. Um, yeah. Man who haunted himself, troubling star, a night to remember, Doctor No, Georgia Girl, Rocky Horror, Re- The Reckoning, Ipcrest Foul, The Rebel, and From Russia We Love. Ten appearances. Um, he was also he was less... also the first inductee. Yeah. Looking back into the um, Hall of Fame by appearances, he was also the first person to appear in three. Um, Films back to back that were reviewed as well. <laughs> right. um, I've, so, got, I've got a theory. I think this is some sort of conspiracy by IMDb or the British film industry as a whole because we haven't even seen what he looks like. Do we? Do we know who this man is? We haven't really gone back to double check on this, but well, no. Me. When you when you look him up, it's difficult to find a, a clear picture of yeah. him um, to be able to to use. But yes, he managed to get into the Hall of Fame by by the sixth episode. So even before Sean Connery had been on it, we, 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 he got into the Hall of Fame with Victor Harrington. Victor, um, right? Chess tournament uh, spectator. Yeah. So. Um, Oh, he was, you know, it. by the time he'd done Man Who Haunted Himself and Trouble in Store and Night to Remember, that was it. He was in. <laughs> so, um, so yes, it's uh, he, he deserves the klaxon. Well absolutely. done, sir. Well, I'm going to use um, that in future. First person to make du- double figures. Um, and very much, as we say, the, the kind of thing that this podcast is held in, that it's the, it's the unknowns, it's a stalwart sort of bit player, background people. Incredible. That just turn the job in, film after film after film that were just there making these films what they are, and um, wrapped up their their CVs as far as um, <laughs> the, the films they were in. So yes, ten. Interesting. Uh, it's a bit of sad, really, because normally people who, who sort of get to their fourth or fifth appearances, we were making a big thing out of them, but yeah. they're all pushed into the background now because of people who are racking up, you know, ten appearances. That is. We've said this before, totally unprecedented, but we could not have predicted that this man, who who we'd never heard of previously, would go... I mean, George Chamberlain. Was it George Chamberlain? Was it the original? Cyril Chamberlain. Cyril Chamberlain was the original one that we thought was going to be, yeah, because we recognised his face. He had talking, yeah. talking roles. He had speaking parts in carry-on movies. And we're like, yeah, we know George. We know Marianne Stone, you know, who'll still be the queen. Yeah. You know, her and the Hickson will still be the queens of this yeah, podcast. Yeah, in our hearts and our Yeah. Um, but Victor Harrington. Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm quite taking a light to Dido Plum as well. Dido Plum. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, that's it's quite amazing is Dido Plum being up at that level. Because, yeah. I mean, we've got some other people who are, you know, are in the sort of eight range of as far as... Um, how many films have been in? They're just you know waiting in the wings to get up to that level. Victor, the governor, the is already yeah. at sort of thing. Yeah. Um, so there's some of them that won't be far off. I mean, um, John Tatum and, and Red Thomason are, are you know 
got eight each, and Marion Stone's, you know, they're on seven, but she can't be far off. Wasn't Martin Body up there at some yeah. point as well? Was, yeah. Yeah, and, and and Frederick Piper, I believe. Um, <laughs> okay. who, are these, who are these people? Um, so, but, and Fred, Fred Guffish, sorry. Oh. Um, yeah, and it's, it is. It's, it's a lot of the time it's these people who um, not heard the names, uh, don't recognise the faces, but they're the stalwarts. They've made up the, the background characters or the person coming in handing over a piece of paper or the waiter serving a, a cup of coffee or whatever. Yeah. And they might, you know, warrant themselves a, a scream as they're stabbed <laughs> <laughs> or shot by accident when they're in crossfire between somebody. But they're, the, the, they're making up the list quite strongly. So, yes, if we do need to really think about a different category for people who get to a different level or uh, rethink about what you need to, to do to achieve Hall of Fame status, then um, we'll have to see what we do about that because it is getting... It is snowballing, mate, isn't it? Yeah. It was a nice little thing originally, wasn't it? Oh, people who've been in three times. Well, that's an achievement. We'll have a couple. Not many, peop- not many people are going to get that. Yeah. <laughs> 150 plus in less than 70 episodes. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Harrington. you've got things like that, you know, if you look at A Night to Remember, you know, you find that <laughs> well, the number did, of people were in that. I mean, there's hundreds of people in that film. And we're most discovering of them this, have... yeah. The, the biggest fact, or the most interesting fact about Night to Remember and the Bond series is that there were four incarnations of Q in Night to Remember. Oh, there was the guy that we mentioned him briefly, the guy that plays the armourer, who is effectively yeah. Q in, in Doctor No. He's in Night to Remember. Desmond Llewellyn is in Night to Remember. Alec McCowan, who played Q in Never Say Never Again, is in Night to Remember. And there's oh, one yeah. other, and I can't remember who it is. There's another guy that's played Q somewhere along the line. Might be in Casino Royale or something. But there's four incarnations of Q in A Night to Remember. <laughs> Uh, we need to keep an eye out for Anthony Dawson. Anthony Dawson has got two. He's one of the people that's got two appearances. What have you got him he, in? Um, just Doctor No. Previously, I that's think. It. Um, yeah. Because he was, he, you know, he was in that, and he's although he's not credited in this, and he's not faces and show, and he is actually in it. So yeah, he's blowfield um, in this, but he yeah. was. I think it was Professor Dent or one of those guys. Yeah, Dent it was. Yeah. Yeah, in Doctor so, No. Um, so he'll be, you know, in I'm sure, but um, soon. But even if it's just there's some bizarre ones one. that have, have have cropped up here that we're gonna, yeah, we're gonna see again. Um, even oh well, John Barry. Where's where's John Barry lie with this, mate? He's he's already in, isn't he, John Barry? So uh, yeah, I believe so. Okay, uh, we should be because we've at least got two for him for the Bond movies, so. As always, the Hall of Fame never ceases to surprise me every week. Isn't even getting into Bomb Dear Billy Wells, so we've got to go back and check all the um, pre pre credit. Yeah, you know, how do we? You know, how do you work that one out? But apparently, it's to do with a number of gongs. No, I, um, yeah. Also, I think it, he was only the the man that banged the gong from forty five to fifty five. I think it was. There was about three or four, wasn't there? Different guys that yeah. did it, but Bomb Dear Billy Wells is the one we're paying particular attention to. Oh, final thoughts on From Russia With Love. I mean, we we can't deny its importance within the Bond franchise. Um, can't deny its importance for early 60s British cinema. 
because it was really sort of escalating to something quite worldwide and massive at this point. Can't deny its importance with regard to Sean Connery's career and, and just setting up the template, as we say, for all the future Bond movies. It, it's up there, mate. It's, it's, for me, mate, top five James Bond movie. How about yourself? Absolutely, yeah. And it's very archetypal. It does set up a lot of things. It sets up the quips, sets up the chases, it sets up the, um, you know, the, the uh, a lot more going with the, the, the Bond girl, not just being somebody who's actually part of the plot rather yeah. than just somebody who's a... Um, hanging off his arm, so basically. Hanging off his arm. Yeah. Um, the, there is making... Giving us more detail about who Spectre are, and they're bringing in that they're not just they're, they're not just an analogy for um, the Soviets. They are actually you know separate too. Yep, um, crime organisation. Yeah, yeah. So that's fine, and, and and sets it up. It does actually set up a little bit of little bit of silliness, um, <laughs> just in a in a way. Um, it did amuse me um, when I watched it the other night, um, just as a, a completely random. Not to take away any anyway from the film, but um, when they're in the gypsy camp and there's yeah. the firefight that goes on with yeah. people shooting each other, and the the head of the the, the Turkish bureau for the for MI6, mm. um, who's there with him, who, who sadly, I mean he um, he died just after the film. Oh, did was he? Dead, the wasn't he? Died. Yeah, oh, right. he, was, he was riddled. They, they changed the the shooting sequence apparently for him because there were. He was riddled with cancer, wow, okay. um, and was you know sort of close to death, and they managed to sort of rework out. Yeah, it was um, Pedro Armendariz. Yeah, um, and he um, playing a Turk though, um, despite being Mexican. But, uh, <laughs> that's where must where Sean Connery gets the Scotsman playing a, a Spaniard thing, or, or, was or, influenced or, or a, so, a Soviet <laughs> Soviet submarine captain. But um, yeah, they changed the sequences. For him, and he he actually committed suicide because he was so so oh, ill. Right, he was okay. he was apparently a friend of Ernest Hemingway, and 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 used exactly the same method. <laughs> Blimey, of, okay. um, but yeah, the funny thing is uh, not not any of that, obviously, because that's tragic. Uh, the funny thing is though, when they're in the firefight in the gypsy camp, mm. um, he gets shot in the arm. Yes, with that really fake blood. Yes. Yeah, and and not only is it the fake blood, but um, he gets shot in the arm, and you see him like with the like. It, you can see that the packet of blood in his hand, <laughs> yeah. which he which he bursts onto his arm to make it to make his arm bleed. So he, there's no blood, and he reaches over and bursts this thing, and then starts rubbing. He actually smears the blood over his sleeve, and I'm just thinking this is this is really proto where the silliness gets a bit later on with well, um, some of the effects. Um, but there's a little bit where James Bond goes to the hotel room and he starts running a bath. And yeah. he turns the tap on, and it's not water that comes out of the tap. It's just steam. If you look at it, it's steam coming out of the wall to make it look like hot water's hitting a cold bath. Oh, there's yeah. lots. There's lots of bits like this. I mean, we did oh, mention lots of bits it. like that. Yeah, yeah, we're not going to pick up on them all because no. I mean, you can use the fact that he he blows up the oil drums with a flare gun, even though the, you only get one shot from a flare gun. Yeah, you know, um, uh, and things like that. But the 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 essence of this is that it is a. a you know, is the archetypal bond that set the formula really um, for the rest. Doctor No brought some of the elements in, but this perfected it really. Yeah. Do you know what I noticed more this time? There's, there's like th- it, the film ends about three times because there, or there's three potential points in the movie where they, where they could have cut it off. Yes. After the fight scene on the train, after you know Robert Shaw's dead and that was it, they could have finished there. We then get this 
bit with the boat that you mentioned and the oil drums, which is a great 10-minute action sequence, by the way. That's, that's quite cool, actually. Could have ended there. But then you get the hotel room and Rosa Klebb comes back for the final sort of showdown. Yeah. Um, yeah, it just just when you think it's all over, nope, oh, no, oh, there's another one, you know. Um, we briefly mentioned Walter Gotel, who plays a character called Morzeni, Morzeni in this, would go on to become General Gogol in later movies. Yeah, yeah, like um, for, for about six, six or seven over decades, yeah. playing that same character again and again and again. Yeah, but there's so, lots of things. He, he aged, but James Bond didn't. <laughs> I'm only giving it four out of five. Uh, I've got Bond movies that I prefer to this, so it'd only be fair for me to give it four because I'm saving the five star ratings for the ones that I like a little bit more. With yourself, mate, this has got to be seen on the big screen if you can, hasn't it? I think so, because there's, there's a bit more of a spectacle to it. I think in a way that it's it's made for the big screen, yeah. really, I think is where I'm coming from with it, rather than, yes, watch it on a, on a big TV screen is fine. But I think, you know, it's, it's an idea of, of Bond, particularly of, of classic Bond, although it's not the easiest one to watch because that's Doctor No is a bit more easier to grasp because they're intentionally aware that they're introducing the character yeah. and the, the format. I do think uh, as far as the repeated watches, I think this is one that, that does stand out and work particularly well, better for rewatches rather than it becoming more familiar and therefore you're losing something. Yeah, I certainly appreciate it more as I've got older, this particular one. But you saying about big screen and stuff like that, I think tradition dictates that this should be watched on the 24-inch big tube TV on a bank holiday Monday. That's the only time this film should be watched, really, because, you know, to try and recreate our growing up. Oh, this is it, yeah, and, you know, you're just sat on a rickety chair in the kitchen because you're not allowed to watch it with everybody else in the other room. That's it, because um, mum didn't like yeah. James Bond, basically. Yeah, that's <laughs> I need to bring more James Bond in a bit more rapid succession, I think, to the podcast, because we've only done two in three years, and I'd, I'd, I'd like yeah. to get to Goldfinger. I'd like to get to Thunderball. Though it's not many people's favourites, I love Thunderball. I enjoyed watching this this time round. I'd like to do a few more quite quickly. Well, I'm glad that, you know, it's managing to sort of start to catch up a bit more. I mean, I mean it might not be immediately doing you know, the next ones, but at least... At least now there's two done. We'll get a couple is, more in this year, yeah. hopefully. That, that'd be nice if we could. If we could get a couple more Connery Bonds in before Christmas would be sort of what we're looking at, if we can. Okay, that was my choice, wasn't it, this time round? So let's take a break and we'll be back with your selection for what we're watching next time. Okay, so that was from Russia with Love. Looking forward to progressing with the Bond series a little bit quicker, we hope. It's Stephen's choice for the next episode. It's not going to be a Bond movie, is it, mate? It's not. No. <laughs> what you got lined up for us? Well, it's the the story of um, the caretaker of a, an orphanage um, who, you know, his charges um, leave the orphanage on a day out um, and he discovers um, <laughs> there's nefarious stuff going on in order to close the orphanage and, and develop um, <laughs> it into a factory. So he, um, you know, 
becomes um, one, you know, man on a mission to try and save the poor little darlings of Greenwood Children's Home. Is it your um, favourite little actor? And it is our, our dear little Norman Wisdom. Fantastic. Um, I, thought, I thought, you know, I've been inspired by your decision to get on with f- uh, filling out the series of films for Bond yeah. that we would get on to the next Norman Wisdom since there's only been one done so far so and there was an intention to, yep. to get through them. So this is a second Norman Wisdom film, One Good Turn, and uh, from 1955. Is this the one where he's actually living in the orphanage? He was a yes. kid in the orphanage yeah. and he's working it's there. The oldest orphan, yeah. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. I haven't seen that for years. I've been putting it off because I've been waiting for either yourself or Tony to bring it to the podcast. So we're still only 1955 and we're still only the second Norman Wisdom movie. Yes, there's still more to come, thankfully. I'm going to make a prediction here. I'm not looking this up on INDB or anything, but there will be smoke coming out of the Hall of Fame with this one. Possibly it's, with ripping Yeah, it's, it's going to ramp things up. I think there's a, a number of people, um, Noel Howlett and, and stuff, uh, are going to. Um, I could just picture that. Can I have a look now? Just no, I'm not going to look to see if Victor Harrington's in there. I'm going to save it. I've got a funny feeling Marianne Stone might be, but Victor Harrington, it's Thor possible. Is Thor heard in it? So is Jerry Desmond there or um, Mr. Grimsdale? I don't, I don't know. Don't is it, is it, it one is. good no, turn? Yeah. No, I don't think it's got to um, the frequent pairing up of Mr. Grimsdale yeah. now. So. Interesting stuff. I'm Again, gonna... it's it's you know it's setting the formula still at this stage with um, the known wisdom film, same as what um, from which we love was doing. Yeah, completely different movies, but the formula's being set up for the normal wisdom franchise. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know the. Normal Wisdom as James Bond was a missed opportunity, in my opinion. Well, yeah. But maybe I'm the only person that thinks that. <laughs> yeah, you probably are. <laughs> but um, the one um, thing just to mention while we can about this before we um, finish off mm. is that um, there's a minor uncredited role um, okay. in this film for somebody called Fraser Hines. Oh, oh, now I may be meeting him. You may be meeting him in a couple of weeks' time at the Pictures TV. I mentioned that. Um, I I will mention it to him if if I do get that interview with him because Fraser Hines is probably best known for Doctor Who and Emmerdale. Um, I think it was in Doctors as well. I think I read somewhere. But so if if your first question is about normal wisdom films rather than any of the other things he's known for, that's going to throw him uh, on a rate curveball. Arthur Mullard, I'm looking now. Arthur, Arthur Mullard, yeah. Arthur Mullard's in it, who had a fleeting appearance in Pool of London, so he's going to be somewhere within the Hall of Fame. There is Fraser Hines, minor role uncredited. Percy Herbert, this might be one of his first appearances. Somebody mentioned Percy Herbert on Twitter or Facebook the other day, waiting for him to appear. People are actually waiting for people to appear in the Hall of Fame. This is brilliant. We've created a monster. Yeah. Right. yeah, people want to see right. their favourite actors inducted, so... Uh, th- yeah, I believe that this chap's mother was friends with Percy Herbert in the East End of London, so they're waiting for him to go in. I can't see Mr. Harrington on this. No, it's Aidan Harrington. But there's, no. an Aiden, there's another Harrington. So we've got Victor Harrington, Victoria Harrington and Aidan Harrington. <laughs> yeah, the Harringtons I mean, are taking yeah, over. Yeah, let's just say Aidan Harrington is already on six appearances. No, uh, that's so, really. Um, so it kind of is the Harringtons... <laughs> 
wonder if they're all related. We've got to look into this. It's some conspiracy by IMDb, I'm convinced. The man that owns yeah, IMDb maybe, is probably a Harrington. Maybe Victor Harrington doesn't exist and it's just some hacker. Yeah. That's just decided to put themselves in every film. Oh, you they need can to get mentioned on our podcast. I'm going to look for photographic evidence of Mr. Harrington. And also, I've just spotted there's another Doctor Who reference. William Russell's in it. Oh, right. Plays Alec Bigley, who was William Hartnell's first, one of the first companions, wasn't he? He was Ian. Yeah, of course, yeah. Wow. Okay. Okay, let's leave it at that, because that I'm really looking forward to. I might even watch it now, even though we're not (laughs) going to record this for a couple of weeks. I might watch it now, and then I can watch it again. It's not like you'd be first time watching away, is it? So it's fine. Do you know what, though? I don't think I've seen this since I was a kid. Yeah. I really, I think I was, you know, a teenager was the last time I saw this, because there's other Norman Wisdoms that I've watched a few more times. Oh, I'm looking forward to it. Okay. Thanks for chatting all things James Bond with me today, mate. We've got some idea of, of your love for the franchise. I promise that by the time we get to Goldfinger, we won't go through the whole rigmarole of finding out what your likes and your dislikes are. We, we've got a great idea there now. Looking forward to Norman Wisdom next time. Mate, I will see yeah. you very, very soon. Thank you. Will do. Take care. Absolute shah. A positive shah. Good luck. Thank you. Hand up, sir.